this Advent season, as we talk about hope, we begin to look uh, expectantly towards the coming of Jesus. Do you remember a season in life in which you waited expectantly upon things, this biblical concept of hope where it's not just I wish it would happen, but I am looking forward to and longing for the fruition of whatever that is. Um, the, the one that came to mind for me as I was thinking about hope this week was the birth of our first child. And uh, not everyone here has experienced that, but some have, and some can resonate with uh, some of these feelings. But I remember as a time approached that our first child would be born, it wasn't a question of if, there was a question of when. And along with that came all sorts of emotions. I mean, excitement and, and passion and a realization that something far bigger than I could imagine is being accomplished in the birth of this child, right? Um, but also fear. Uh, anticipation, uh, you know, just questioning the unknown as it came. And as it happened, when Sarah and I had our first child, um, we uh, met with our doctor. He said, you're ready to have this baby. And he actually scheduled when we'd come in a couple days later. Well, um, I heard him talking on the phone through his flimsy doors in his office um, to the hospital scheduling. He had walked out to go schedule at the hospital, and he came back. And I had heard him say a date. He walked into the room, and he said a different date to me. And, and I questioned him. I said, now, are you sure it's that day? And he said, yeah, absolutely. And he gave us a date, and, and so we wrote it down. Well, as you can imagine, the story is going to play out. Um, the night before, we're to go in early in the morning uh, to have um, our first chi- child, our, our daughter Alyssa. Um, uh, we spent a sleepless night, right? Just uh, the hope, yet the anxiety, the excitement, and yet the, um, the unknown that it represented. Next morning, uh, we, we head off to the hospital. We approach the uh, nurse's desk to check in and are greeted with awkward glances back and forth at each other. And, uh, and in the end, after, uh, just one of the most awkward conversations of my life, to be entirely honest, um, they sent us home. We had to turn around and leave the hospital and wait another day to have our baby, right? Um, but this was a season in which it wasn't a question of if we would have a child, it was when. And, and in this season, there was all sorts of questions, there was challenges that arose, uh, but in the end, we had a beautiful baby daughter. Now today, as we uh, consider Advent and the second coming of Jesus, we're in kind of a similar season right? There's excitement. For those of us that believe in Jesus, we believe he will come again. He will set this world right. It will be as he intends, um, that we will know our Savior in new and intimate ways, that the hope that we've had will come to full fruition. And so we long for that day. And yet in the season of waiting, there's also our questions and our doubts and our confusions and all the things that come along with it. But today, we look towards hope. We look towards hope in a coming Savior. You know, Advent doesn't just speak to this idea of a second coming of a Savior. You see, it harkens back to a story much older, a story of the Israelite people who awaited the coming of their Savior. You see, as the time approached that Jesus was going to enter into the world, uh, Israel uh, was in ruins, 
Uh, they no longer were a sovereign state. Um, they'd been conquered by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and now Rome ruled over Israel, right? Their, their, their cities um, uh, had, been, had been destroyed, some of them in some ways rebuilt, but Israel was no longer the nation they hoped to be, and so they awaited on a savior. They awaited a savior, right? The prophets had spoken to them. They said, have hope because a savior is coming. A savior who will restore Israel is on his way. But you can imagine the hopelessness they felt as they, as they continued to be conquered or, or traded as the possession of nation after nation. When will our Messiah come? What will it look like? ready for a salvation. Israel had no army that they could reclaim their own nation, and so as they dreamed of a savior, they dreamed of a, of a king who would be born, who would reestablish uh, the throne in Israel, who would sit on that throne, uh, who would conquer the nations that had hurt them and enslaved them. But of course, God had a much richer plan for the savior Jesus to come. Israel said in waiting, this anticipation of the coming of the advent of their Savior, of their Christ. And Jesus had a much richer plan than a king who would lead a strong army. You remember God's covenant with Abraham? He, he said to Abraham, I'll make you into a great nation, and I'll bless you that you can be a blessing to all peoples, right? God intended through Jesus through their Messiah, through their Savior, to not just restore a nation of Israel and a king and a crown, but instead God intended to restore Israel to its purpose in the world. Let me say I believe that's a much deeper and richer promise of God to them. See, God had promised, through you I will bless all nations, but Israel had, had lost their sovereignty, lost their sight for their purpose in God's plan. But in Jesus, God would, God would fulfill that promise, that through Israel, a blessing would come to all the world. Jesus chose 12 apostles, representative of the 12 tribes of Israel, and through Jesus and these 12, 12 apostles, God would fulfill through Israel this promise. I will bless this nation, and out of this nation will pour a blessing to all the world, and you and I are the recipients of that blessing, the fulfillment of the promise that God made. So Israel set in anticipation, awaiting a Savior, and God fulfilled in even richer ways than they could have imagined uh, what God had promised to do. Israel realized that hope had now come into the world, uh, that, that Jesus brings hope. And today, as we await a second coming, we continue to reflect on this concept of hope, a, a confident expectation uh, in a Savior who will come. Quite often in, in Western Protestant thought, when we speak of hope or when we speak of salvation, we speak of it in personal terms. We speak of it uh, in terms of an afterlife, you know, something that will come in the future. But I want to challenge us this morning. Well, that's not uh, improper or untrue. I want to challenge us this morning uh, to think of a richer definition of hope and salvation that God has for us, quite similar to that that he had for his Israelite people. You see, God has always been in the business of reconciling the world. Reconciling simply means, uh, that's a really churchy term, so let's give a little definition. Reconciling uh, means to be brought back into friendly relationships, 
back into friendly relationship, back into relationship with God. God has been about reconciling the world since the fall of mankind, since the, the Genesis account in which humanity has been separated by sin from their heavenly Father. It is the mission of God to restore right relationship with his people. It is the mission of God to restore this world. God is a missional God, I believe, from the very beginning. And though, though Israel often missed the significance of their calling into the world, um, God's intent was to bless the world through his people. Remember, God intended from them to flow the blessing. And so Israel had a, a temple. They were to build a temple in which God would dwell. And priests would be the intermediaries between God and his people. His people were designed to be the intermediaries, intermediaries between uh, the blessings of Israel poured out into the world, right? Uh, so that was the structure. But in Jesus came a remarkable new hope. It goes something like this. Jesus invited ordinary people to participate in his mission. He, he, he invited fishermen and tax collectors, some people despised by their culture, many of them relatively uneducated. He invited ordinary people into his work. And following his resurrection, the Holy Spirit came upon his followers and began to spread throughout the church, did powerful wonders. And you see, a transition has, become, has begun to take place uh, from God who dwelt in a temple to God who dwells in his people. From a nation of Israel who was to distribute God's blessing to the world to God's people distributing the blessing to the world, that is, you and me. And First Peter speaks of it in these terms, in the terms of a royal priesthood, like the priest played significant roles in Israel. Uh, it, we're invited to, to that role in the world around us. First Peter chapter 2 says, uh, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Uh, scripture speaks to us uh, um, in, in these terms, that we are God's chosen people. Like, whatever baggage maybe we came here this morning with, whatever hurts, whatever fears, the challenges that we face, I want you to hear this in, in First Peter today. You are chosen by God. Is that beautiful or what? Yeah, we are God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That We are his special possession. God values you. You are special in his eyes. That we've been called out of darkness into wonderful light. Reflect on that, uh, that, that language as we light a candle later. That out of the darkness, light has come and we had, we've been invited into that light. And we've received mercy from him. So here's the big picture. Today we're talking about hope. We're talking about this um, uh, expectation, this anticipation um, of, of Jesus who will come. And we're talking as well about the fact that we have been invited into the story of hope. 
that God is telling in the world, into the story of reconciliation that God has invited us as his chosen people, as his royal priesthood, to participate in the distribution of this hope in the world. And so I want to back up a little bit and talk about um, the sermon series that we're just concluding. Today kind of finishes out, and we got a slide on it up here, yeah. So we've been talking about belong, believe, become, three of our core values that um, that we've uh, just found such richness and, and, and guidance and vision for this church in. Um, and so for the last few weeks, we've been talking about what it looks to belong, believe, become. Think of it kind of in terms of like a discipleship flow, the way we grow in our faith. And it begins with a place of radical inclusion and love. So belonging, it's the ways we live our lives. Like you and I, as we engage uh, in our workplaces, um, in, in the places that we go, in the grocery stores that we shop out, uh, shop, shop at like Jesus, we try to reciprocate this radical inclusion and love of people in the world around us. Then we talked the following week about the church and and how it's designed to be a place of belonging, a place of invitation, a place where people come to know their their God who loves them, come to know Jesus. And so uh, we've dreamed and, and strove to create a belonging first culture. Um, experiences that lead towards belief. The idea of discipleship was the third week in the series as we talked about that, that, um, God has been working in our lives. We have, we have caught glimpses of Him and, and we further catch glimpses of Him as we live life together on His mission, right? So this idea that experience quite often leads towards belief. And that's the beauty in walking together and living together as a church. And then, uh, fourth week we talked about Peter's confession. Uh, we talked about um, uh, this moment of faith in which we come to believe in Jesus as our Savior, and he becomes and is exactly that, our hope and our Savior. And then we talked about what we believe as a church. We talked about some of the basic tenets of faith, and then we talked about some of the distinctive things as a church that we strive toward, for. Uh, for instance, um, uh, we operate as an egalitarian church where men and women are invited to participate equally. Um, we talked about uh, diversity towards um, uh, inclusion and equality, okay? And then uh, finally, as we started, we get into the become section. What does it look like to be transformed? We talked about being transformed by the Spirit, uh, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of these things are what the Spirit produces in our lives as we begin to be transformed by Him. Uh, last week, uh, Sarah spoke on being transformed by grace that this free gift of, of, uh, of hope and of love uh, that God has given us transforms us. It causes us to look at the world differently, to engage differently, to, recipro- to reciprocate that grace that God has shown to us. And then finally this week, we are transformed to become a part of his mission. God is about hope in this world. God cares deeply for this world and invites us to participate in the good things that he is doing in this world to reconcile people to himself, to bring people back into right relationship. And you and I are the, the royal priesthood, the people invited to participate. And I want to be just a little bit practical here. Um, what does it look like then to participate in God's mission, Right? Uh, a valid question to ask today, and, and I'll be brief on the answer, but um, but a but a reasonable overview of what it looks like to participate in God's mission. I think it takes on two primary pieces and forms. Uh, it, it's the proclamation of good news, so we tell people about good news, and secondly, uh, it's the demonstration 
of the good news. It's the lives that we live. What does it look like to part, participate in God's mission? Well, first of all, um, uh, we, we, we proclaim, we share the good news. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. This is Jesus speaking, but he's quoting Isaiah 61, I believe it is. And, uh, and Jesus is quoting this passage saying, this is good news. I have come to proclaim this good news, not just to the elites, not just to the middle class, but even to the poor. I've come to everyone to proclaim good news. I've come to proclaim freedom for prisoners, sight for the blind. People will know new life, new hope, and new freedom. This is the proclamation of the gospel, the good news that Jesus brought. There is freedom in him. Okay, and then the demonstration of the gospel. We proclaim the gospel, and then we demonstrate the gospel. Um, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, what is, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put, in, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. He says this, uh, as those people that are following Jesus that have come to know the hope and the good news in Jesus that have been transformed by the blessings that he's given us by the Spirit and by grace, uh, we're invited to fix our minds on things that are good, on truth, on what's noble, on what's right and pure. And then he says, and the things you've learned, the things you've seen from me, put it into practice and live a life that demonstrates the gospel, that demonstrates the good news of Jesus. So today we consider hope. We consider the hope that God is bringing into this world, the, the hope that he's been bringing into this world since the beginning of time. Uh, we think of hope and Advent, hope in a season of waiting, and it is a purposeful and a patient expectation. And I think both of those things are really significant. Um, it, it's, it's a patient expectation in that we wait upon Jesus coming. Uh, we can't force it in our time, so we wait patiently for Jesus to come in this season. Uh, but it's also a purposeful season. Remember Israel, who lost sight of their purpose in the world. God came and redeemed that purpose through Jesus and 12 apostles. But you and I, we, we choose a posture that is purposeful in the waiting. As I await my heavenly Savior, as I await the second coming of Jesus, I choose to engage. I choose to participate. I choose a purposeful posture in demonstrating and sharing good news with the world around me. So Craig and Erica, if you guys want to start coming up, we're going to light a candle. Excuse me in just a minute. Um, Advent is a season of expectation and preparation. As the church begins, prepares to celebrate the coming, that is the Adventus means coming, the Advent of Christ in his incarnation, in his incarnation. In the Northern Hemisphere, the Advent season falls at the darkest time of the year. And the natural symbols of darkness and light are powerfully at work through Advent and, Christ and Christmas. We are gathered together to proclaim and receive in our hearts the good news of the coming of God's kingdom 
and so prepare ourselves to celebrate with confidence and joy the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that we may respond in repentance and faith to the glory of his kingdom, its works of justice and its promise of peace, its blessing and its hope. Today we light the candle of hope. We remember that Jesus, sorry, is the light of the world, that he has come and that he is coming again into the world. As Chris plays here in a few minutes, we're going to have an opportunity to take communion for anyone who would like to, uh, as we remember Jesus and his light and his love, his sacrifice and his resurrection. The bread that we take today represents his body that was broken on a cross. Um, the blood represents, or the, the fruit of the vine represents his blood that was shed for us with cleansing power and with new hope. So this morning, if you'd like to take communion, you're invited to. You don't have to, but the way we'll do it this morning is uh, we'll walk up the center aisle here, and you can walk either direction and receive communion. You can take the piece of bread and dip it in the juice to remember Jesus and his sacrifice this morning. As we complete taking communion, Chris will finish out a song for us, and we'll pray together, and we'll close out in that way. But for now, let's pray over this uh, next few minutes we have, remembering Jesus Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the hope that is found in Jesus. We thank you that he is the light of the world. And we thank you that you've invited us um, to participate in, uh, in sharing your love and hope in the world. Today, uh, as we take communion, Father, we're especially mindful of Jesus, his love and his sacrifice, and the hope that we have found in it. Uh, Father, remind us of, uh, of his love. Remind us of his goodness. Uh, help us, Father, uh, to know your love and nearness as we take this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Chris, and thank you, all of you. Today we celebrate hope, uh, that there is a hope found in Jesus that transcends the momentary struggles that we face, transcends the, the challenges in life, the broken relationships, the loss of job, the loss of loved ones. There is a hope bigger and beyond that found in Jesus, a hope that is not only in the life to come, but that is evident in this life, a hope that we've been invited to participate, to share with the world around us. So as we go today, we are invited uh, to live in and to demonstrate the hope that we have seen. We've reflected today on Jesus as our hope, who, who came and who is coming again, who is the light of the world. Thanks for being with us. Let's pray as we close out this morning. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for Jesus, who is our hope. We pray that you will go with us. Let us know and let us demonstrate the hope that you have given. In Jesus' name, amen.